0: which is another wow factor, because it's fun and fast and kicks ass.
1: Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Well, welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. Today, my guest is Brooke Lazat. Brooke is a keyboard player, we'll say based out of Seattle, but he's going to explain more to that. Brooke, thank you for making this happen. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So, Brooke, we're sitting here in a studio, which you gave me a tour of, which was amazing to me. How I know about you, and this is this is always the fun part, we get to pick on Raymond Hayden. Raymond, Raymond gets mentioned in a lot of the episodes, but uh ray ray said you need to talk to brooke and here i am and it took took quite a while for me to actually get around to uh reaching out to you but i'd like to know how did you meet R- ray and tell the, our listeners some dirt we need dirt on ray
0: yeah well there's plenty of dirt on ray perfect but uh, uh you know i'll be careful all right and um, i'm just kidding no i am too for, for ray i was i told ray I'd,
1: I'd, tease him all right so (laughs) i'll probably probably, no i'll probably leave that in we'll just leave it there so brooke how you you also know another friend of mine a long-term friend of mine renee fabre
0: yes went to school with renee
1: okay so why don't we let's
0: go back that far okay how did you get started in music what's your story well the that was that moment in in life was in college okay green river college in like 70 71 two three in there and um uh, Renee's a wonderful fella and a wonderful pianist. He has a f- couple of chords that every time back then when he would play his chord, I called it <laughs> his voicing. It was just absolutely heaven. Okay. And, and to this day, I would like to him to show me that chord. All right. But anyway, Okay. Uh, Renee's Ray, Renee was a real good friend. We haven't really been in touch through the years, but it feels like we have because <laughs> that was a that was a very special time, and the band was great. Band happened to collect kids. We were eighteen years old, who played. I had already been playing hard all their life, so the youngsters, us, back then, were came in. You know, playing hard and wanting to play, mm-hmm. and uh, and real good in the band, basically exploded immediately being great. The, the jazz ensemble, and that ended up touring up and down the coast and, uh, the, uh, uh the, uh, what you call it, uh, um, the various festivals and, and, um, college, uh, conferences and contests. And there was the, uh, it was a great band leader. Anyway, some of them would do their, um, contests or you know get together and then bands from all over the country would come down stan kenton had one okay and we were a couple of times in there and we'd roll in and just kick ass and <laughs> and uh so that area that was college but i go back i started when i was about five and okay my roots are beethoven and chopin okay and uh and but the old man who taught me i stayed with him for years i mean i studied with him until i was in my late teens William Coburn up in the U district here in Seattle. I grew up on Queen Anne Hill. Okay. And he was, and, and I didn't know this until I was grown up, was a wise old guy. And he was old then, like he was in his sixties. I mm-hmm. mean, I was five. And so <laughs> somebody, you know, I mean, he, you know, he, he was ancient. And, uh, and <laughs> fast forward to now, yeah. our 60 was a while ago. I remember it well. And, uh but he was ancient but we just became he didn't have kids so we just bonded because okay. I happened to want to play wanted to play okay and so I was one of those students for him who came in hungry and came back as prepared as I could be next week
1: unlike little timmy whose mom was making him play he yeah. didn't want to
0: and and I wanted to what do you think was your what was the draw for you what do you, where do you why do you think it I think it's in your bones or not. Okay. I think it's, I think it's, you know, I don't know if that's meaning it's. uh, um, You were just kind of born to do this. Yeah, yeah. It's all I've ever done. And uh, the, um, and so he would play things and if he could see this kid get a rise out of it, he'd put that aside. And then if something else didn't, we wouldn't even approach it. And, and he was giving me, he was going through kind of the, the pop hits of those great classical composers. Okay. We didn't, like, go deep into any particular composer. He brought up Moonlight Sonata. Okay. And he brought up, you know, the Minute Waltz. And he brought up Chopin. And he brought up Griggs Concerto in A minor. And he brought up the ones that are kind of were their hits. Mm-hmm. You know, I call it, I call it, call it, it isn't technically true, but kind of what the classical pop hits of the time for those guys. Okay. and And he would... <clears throat> He, he was just, he's a story in himself, but one thing he did along with the classical stuff and attended to be, so he would see the ones that I really just bounced at and we'd learn those and he might have to rewrite them and re transcribe them because if I'm holding my hand out, my five fingers spread, every pianist has some reach Mm Mm-hmm. From thumb tip tip of thumb to a tip of little finger goes as far as your hand does. Some less, some more. Right. And but a five-year-old, I'm taking my thumb away now. Right. You have a much smaller reach. There's your reach. Right. So he would completely rewrite these pieces to right. fit a little hand. And his manuscript was breathtaking. He was old school. Okay. So he would, his penmanship. Musically, I still have pieces that he rewrote for me, Okay. and I show them to people. And and they, you know, and that that's uh, uh, you know uh, bygone art. Mm-hmm. Although people still scratch quickly live in studio. I mean, are, so a uh, penmanship is important, but not like that. You know, they, you don't Well, we to... all type everything now, or text it to each yeah, other. <laughs> yeah. And and there's Finale, and and uh, there's some other, there's several now that uh, do um, spit out charts. Okay, That, um, are, you know, and so back to that. So, but one thing he did back then was that he gave me a boogie woogie. Dun, 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 but dun, dun, but whatever. Right. And he would selectively play things. And if I dug that one, we'd learn that one. Okay. Cause what that did for me, and he knew I would need it cause kids want to get out and play. And there's, you know, they had nothing to do inside back in the fifties. So, you know, you want to get outside and ride a bike and throw a ball and ride on, you know, build and back then skateboards, you had to make your own <laughs> and, uh, and just whatever be with your friends. So he knew that there, there'd be competition for my wanting to practice. And he, he appreciated that I had a built in want to practice. Okay. But he gave me a boogie woogie cause that create my pals, girls and boys, loved that stuff. So they'd want to come in while I was practicing. So my front room always had people in it with me practicing. So it was this peer pressure, peer support okay. that made me want to go back to him next week and show him what I did and you know how good I was and you know, Lord knows. I mean, some of it I he he was quite gracious and 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 I learned a lot from him because you know, I probably hit far more wrong notes than right notes because you're five and six and seven and eight and on. And, uh, he would, he said, yes, he compliment what I did. Right. He mm-hmm. said that this part right here, that that's very nice. And let's work on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then he said, yeah, now let's work on this part. He didn't say this sucked, right? But we'd start Evolving what I did well, so I could take it another step, Mm -hmm. and then we go into the hard stuff that I really maybe didn't even get too much.
1: Okay.
0: So, he was his his uh, critique was a really important part of anything. Whoever critiques your work, hopefully they're good. Hopefully they give you support and then constructive criticism. Easier said than done. Sometimes, depending on who's delivering that and who's receiving it. Sure.
1: Well, I think as a young child, my mom wanted me to play piano, and and I, I just didn't want to. I just didn't. I regret that at this point of my life, but at seven, eight, yeah. I didn't want to. My mother wasn't a trained
0: piano instructor so right there was some yeah my no nobody in my yeah. family was no yeah. where was so did you was
1: have out. a piano in the home yeah you,
0: you did have and did yeah. they get that for
1: you or was it already there no
0: there was one there because the my older brothers i'm the baby in the lot <coughs> they the older brothers and sister one sister um they all had lessons now now they she didn't know Coburn then Mm -hmm. and and she tells story or did of uh uh you know the the whack of the ruler on the back of the hands and she didn't she some of my siblings had that experience where it was a cross-headed old gal who was mean and uh she didn't want me to have that so she looked around and she found a good one but um there was a piano there and she tells stories of Me, you know, I mean, back when, you know, the keyboard was, I'd bump my head on the keyboard when you're small. (laughs) Right. And But she tells stories of me, my hands are above my head, reaching up and playing and finding melodies. So you really, at a very young age, you really, this was natural to you. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that thing up there and the sounds it made. And so, and then I would, right away, we, I would play, again, the rehearsals, my private practice would become uh, a half a dozen of my friends were hanging on. I'd say, now, be quiet here, you know, I mean, just, you know, or she would say, <laughs> you can stay, boys, but be quiet. Okay. Or girls, and there right. was always a mix. And then I would give house concerts. And I have some pictures of those. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, it's just... And the girls and the guys, everybody's got on their Sunday best and they're looking sharp, you know. And how old were you about this time? Oh, seven or eight seven or nine. Or eight. Okay. And he would do rec- rec- uh, uh, recitals. Okay. And in his home, university district, which had the upstairs, beautiful piano, uh, would hold on, I don't know, 50 chairs. He would empty it out and put <laughs> chairs in there and everybody's parents and friends and aunts and uncles would come and. He'd do a theme, and he'd play a little bit and then have us do something. And so there was a lot of early performances.
1: Okay. And then when you moved on, say, to high school?
0: Yeah, well, junior high. Okay. Um, I was 13, seventh grade, and I um, uh, hadn't played anything but boogie-woogie and classical. Okay. And and some oh, some uh, uh, Mancini, Baby Elephant Walk. We moved into some pop um, themes mm-hmm. Exodus theme okay. Uh, Cobra and I still have that still have those uh, that sheet music you know okay. when it's 20 cents <laughs> that kind of thing it's really good and but I met some guys in uh, uh, somehow I don't I have to ask them how I met but there's there was a band on on, on Queen Anne called the neurotics. the neurotics it was all the rave And played all the sock hops and the teen fairs and the, you know, the community centers and, and the sock hops after school and, and street fairs and what have you. And, and they somehow discovered that I played. Okay. And so they came over to my house one day. And back then the rule, I was 13 years old. A couple of them were in high school. One was in junior high. And that's probably where the connection was because the rest of the boys were in high school and, they, you know, and I, they, they found out that I played and they came over and, and I didn't know kind of what to play for them. So I played, uh, you know, this hairy, you know, uh, uh piece, Griggs concerto in a minor, you know, it's classic intro mm-hmm. and it's hair raising and, you know, and, uh, so there that they will, you know, there was a the wow factor. And then I played Bumble Boogie. Okay. Which is another wow factor, because it's fun and fast and kicks ass. And so I was hired. And back then, you got into the band if you had gear. It didn't matter how well you played. And I didn't know. I mean, I I had a good ear because I had been playing already for 10, 13, 5, 8 years. 8 years, right. So I I had a good ear. And I could pick up stuff real quick. So it was, you know, the... Din, 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 din. Oh, that's. I ended up... That was the way I was playing pop music, was the rock and roll stuff. Okay. And Dad got me a, a Vox Continental organ, which turns out to be one of the classics. Okay. You either had a Vox Continental or a Farfisa. The Doris had a Farfisa. Okay. Uh, the Dave Clark Five and John Lennon had a Vox. Okay. So it was one or the others. One. The The Soul guys had the B, uh, the Hammond B3. Okay the R and B and jazz guys or gospel. Right. And, uh, but I was, it was rock and roll and uh, the stones and the temptations and the, and the whatever's Beatles and the Northwest. There was a Northwest sound that was rock and jazz blend. Mm -hmm. And it kind of still is kind of rock and jazz blend. So that has stuck. That's kind of uh, part and parcel. What's happening up here and uh, blues tossed into there. But, um, they came over. So I was in and, uh, we played all those. I got great pictures of that too. And then, um, and in there, and then that went its way and I, and I ended up getting a B3 Okay. and that turned on a whole other genres, areas of, uh, uh, uh music. And I fell, uh, and I started, things started getting funky and rock and roll, rock and roll changed. It became, you know, Zepp and Stevie Winwood and and uh, you know Jethro Tull and and Stones and 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 and, Eve, and Hendrix and it and it, things started getting. I discovered Herbie Hancock, oh, a young Herbie, mm-hmm. which I dug immediately, um, and uh, and then Anna went, and uh, and I there's friends of mine, African American family, the Browns, um, I met when I was eighteen. Just, just, I, I was 18, uh, 17 and 69 and I graduated in 70. So I was 18 then. And, um, uh, that was a great time to be studying rock and roll and funk and R and B. Cause mm-hmm. those, those were the classic guys. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, deep in it and just loved it and was playing real hard, playing my best, uh, best I could. And that's about that time is where I went to college and met Renee Okay. Cause so the green river thing, the green river college was that band in school. Okay. It was in 70, but I met Gorman Brown and, and, and his family and cousins, it was the Browns and, uh, they're soulful and bluesy and that's what they were all about. Mm-hmm. Otis Redding, James Brown. Mm-hmm. And, and I played B3 and I had, and I got a clavinet pretty quickly thereafter. Which is a funk machine? Clavinet is the funk machine. That's not organ. Okay. Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. Superstitious. Okay. Clavinet. Clavinet. Okay. Legendary in the funk, and then everybody had a clav if you were funky. Okay. Still do. In fact, i got a '72 clav sitting out there that's funky as you want to know. All right. And, but I met Coleman. And well, yeah, Coleman, really. And then he invited me down There's a club down on Second and Union called The Vault, which was legendary downstairs. And uh, eighteen and over, and all they sold was potato was potato chips and Coca-Cola.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh kids, you know, from the Navy would it was it was that kind of place. All right. And uh we and in Septimus, the owner, uh uh, uh Ronnie uh leaving me right now. Um, but he he's a legend, kind of plays sax and, and lived to a ripe old age. But that was his club. And he loved the Browns. Mm-hmm. And they were called Just Us at the time. And uh, I somehow connected with them and I hauled the B3 down and I could play and kick ass. And, and they immediately, we just became the best friends. So it was Ronald Brown, Coleman Brown, Frankie Brown, Herman Brown, um uh Cynthia Brown, Lily Brown, and Brooke. And Brooke. So I was adopted. Okay. And have and have played with him off and on since. The bass player, Ronald, plays with our Wednesday night jam. Okay. So I've played with him since I was 18. All right. And then, then things got funky. And then I brought that my blend of funk and rock and classical and God knows what to the jazz band. And stayed with it through the two years it's a two-year school mm-hmm. and and stop taking any other classes <laughs> and it was so I stayed there for another year or two coming back to be the anchor anchorman mm-hmm. do the ensemble because I was learning a lot from it the director and I were best friends it was traveling and doing the festivals and working hard to be good and and so I was it was I enjoyed it okay so I stayed long past really going to school. I just came to sign up for that. And then on went life.
1: Well, let's, let's, let before we go on with life, let's, let's talk about Seattle in the late sixties, early seventies, musically. What were you experiencing here?
0: What did you well, see? Well, one, I, I couldn't get into clubs. Right. So, um, it was, you know, from afar, but uh, the band at that point, um, the neurotics up into, well, by that, I, I did, they were doing clubs, but you could do clubs, but you, as a kid in which we all were underage, Mm -hmm. you had to stay on stage in the break, be right next to the, the the stage at a designated table Mm -hmm. with a chauffeur Mm
1: -hmm.
0: or in the green room with a chauffeur. And, um, so I didn't go to clubs. Okay. And so at that point, what I was, uh, I, I didn't, I mean, I saw there were, there was a Dave Lewis trio. There was a lot, there was a couple of Oregon gods who were just great. Of course, Louie Louie came out of this region. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the, the Sonics and the whalers they were Tacoma. Yes, Tacoma had more of a blue collar, you know, attitude mm-hmm. and kind of still does. I mean, that's probably genderfied, but back then it was kind of night and day. Yes, um, And uh, And those bands kicked ass So that was that scene And they were kind of that half generation Older than me And mo- a lot of these kids were Because I was just playing so young At a young age That I was involved But they were older um, uh, Vietnam Vietnam took some of them away mm-hmm. That's what When the neurotic stopped Guitar player went off Okay. And he returned, but that the band had ended. Um, But um, so the scene was uh, jazz and R and B, and um, and I was able to kind of know of it, kind of you know one step removed, because I was you know uh, I was you know half, I was adopted by the Browns. Right. So um, I was in. You know that world mm-hmm. and well received. I mean, I might be the only white guy in some clubs we played.
1: Okay,
0: and uh, so you got to be funky. If you're only if you're the only white guy on stage, yeah. you you got to hold up that end of the stage, or you're going to get cackled from. Right, it. and uh, <laughs> so knock on wood, I could. <laughs> what did you do after Green River? Seventies. Um, had a band called Bridges. Okay, that was the local, collectively, the just the, the finest players around us, and that that ended up being ma- managed. I wrote a lot in that band. I, that's when I started writing. Okay, and have ever since, just my own material is what you know. And and you ride that wave. If you don't hit a home run or two, then you're constantly working on the next project. In almost any industry, that's true. And, uh, and I was hitting some long balls and, and has, you know, kept me afloat and feeding me until now. Okay. But um, in the process, some amazing moments. Bridges ended up being managed by uh, Ulysses Lewis, Norm Vallotton, and now my still dear friend, Sid Clark, as a co-writer, but manager and helping Ulysses. There was a band called Ballin' Jack. Okay. That was, ended up, uh, with national renown and Sydney was their manager and they were a rock and soul that term all a uh, that uh, Seattle almost invented that rock and soul rock and roll and soul band mm-hmm. kicking ass with soulful like a sly in the family stone Okay, Seattle a lot of the bands were that just without trying they just was and so it was there that scene was was cool and it's still kind of here Okay. Jazzy, but funky, but rocky, but, you know. And uh, so that was, uh, yeah, that was all around us. And Bridges was that eclectic blend. And Ulysses owned the Paramounts. Oh. This okay. one, the one in Portland. Okay. And one outside of Vancouver, or, and I'm sorry, San Francisco, called Warner's, Warner Theater. All right. And his dream and was, uh, uh, was uh, realized during that era was that he would have bands come up and down and Bridges was, he managed us. And he would put us on front, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes in front of anybody who'd let us. They'd come in through. If they didn't have an opener, he'd say, well, you know, you got an opener? No, no, we don't. Well, he said, I got a really good band. I mean, they'll do how long you want. Oh, a half hour, 40 minutes. We had a lot of that. And we would get on, not complain about having no room on stage because you don't move the headliners gear. They've taken all day to get right. If you're going to be a opening band, you squeeze in next to the monitor and don't touch, you know, know, don't ask for much. (laughs) And, and our sound men and our stage crew, we we were well uh, endowed Mm -hmm. that way. Um, We're, they were polite and minded their business and they were really sharp. So immediately the crews knew that they knew what they were doing. So they were good politically for us. We would walk on stage and we'd be ready to go. And the house loved them. And, 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 and that ends up giving you a little bit more oomph in the monitors, a little bit more lights. They don't, you don't get the specials. You don't get the fancy stuff. They're not going to drop any of that on you. That's for the headliner, and uh, boy, there's there's more stories than we have time for there.
1: Well, give me an example of uh, who 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 was a headliner you guys opened for.
0: We did a number of dates with Bob Marley, really, and his his first time through the states, and that changed my life because there was a fellow who was committed to his material to the point of you know he was shot at and, and he left Jamaica because they were after him. Right. Federalies, you know, it was like you know. This this guy's talking trash to us. Let's go get him. And they tried. They came into his compound, you know, the gun's blazing. I don't know if you know any of that story.
1: I did not know that story.
0: And so that's when he left, went to New, uh, 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 London.
1: So you opened for Bob Marley.
0: Yeah. And uh, who uh, else do we do? There's uh, Dylan was in that lot. Uh, uh, Bootsy Collins came out of Parliament Funkadelic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's stories there too. <laughs> um, there's stories on all of these. All, all of these. <laughs> and uh, who else we do? The uh, Four Tops, uh, Richie Havens. Uh, 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 who is Joan Collins? Because so, the band was quite uh, uh, um, able to carve our set list out, all our own material. Okay. Mostly mine. Okay. And so we could get funky or we could get rocky. Mm-hmm. or we could get kind of you know ballad ish bringing the clowns <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit and, and 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 we didn't have to hit it hard we could we could get kind of jazzy mm-hmm. comfortably we could go there i mean we't we're, we are we were not a jazz band but we could get jazzy okay a yeah, difference I, I'm not a jazz bow but I can play into that okay I can get jazzy and uh um because you know, jazz boys know all those songs, mm-hmm. and I—I I don't. I'm—I'm. I'm, my repertoire is my own material. All right. So I'm not good going in and going into a piano bar thing where somebody calls out "Misty." All right. Yeah. So I don't put myself there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, just uh, who else do we play for? I'd have to think. Well, that's quite the list. Though. Yeah, I mean, it, it's in that realm.
1: So, so did you play f- with, so were you playing at the, the Paramount in Portland as well? And did yes. You, and did you go down to San Francisco? Were you playing? the Warner. All, Warner. You were
0: playing all three of these. Yeah, yeah. And venues. he also was connected to uh, uh, Queenie, E, uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, the opera house in, in uh, uh, Vancouver, BC. Oh, wow. So we played the Queen E on different events. And the Commodore Ballroom, there was a, there was a ballroom here called the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And the Commodore was Vancouver's Eagles. Gotcha. Where everybody played that couldn't do, I don't know if they had a bigger theater in Vancouver. Because not every, well, it must have been the Queenie, because Marley played the Queenie. Um, And Buffy St. Marie, we played with her. And and, uh, that was at the Queenie. Um, But the Commodore was fun. It, It was the rock hall, like the Eagles here was.
1: Never saw anything at the Eagles. Renee has told me a story of he
0: he sat on the floor while the Grateful Dead were playing at the Eagles' Nice. auditorium, and I'm like, All right. yeah, I saw I saw the Clash up in Vancouver. Oh, you did? Yeah, that uh, London oh. Calling tour. Oh, you know, funny thing is that they were in a they weren't in the Commodore, but they were in the Commodore size kind of like small ice arena. Right. That you know, not not a big rink, right. not not a big stadium slash ice rink. But, um, and place was packed, of course, but, and I, I was pleased to see, surprised to see as well. The, um, the clash came on and they weren't very loud. They didn't play loud. Uh, the, the PA had them loud enough to fill the room, mm-hmm. but they, I mean, we were used to some ear shattering music then. Okay. You know where there is a stack of marshals, and they did not need a stack of marshals, but they had, they, nobody knew that then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, the clash was surprisingly just. I, I appreciated it because in that time frame, um, Marley wasn't loud. But they were, they were more like a country man. They came in with their axes mm-hmm. and rent Fender Twins and whatever they wanted, and put those on stage somewhere. And because the loudest thing on stage for Marley were or was or were um, the voices, Mm -hmm. the I3, the ladies and him and the kick in the, in the snare. Okay. And the rest kind of percolated and bubbled underneath that. But the voice was, he was very, it was voice on top, please. And the ladies harmonies Mm -hmm. floated over everything and they were not loud. Of course, the, the PA got them up out front. Sure. So it, it got loud enough out there, but it wasn't not on stage, not that giant wall. You you didn't have to fight marshals. Gotcha. So, and, and bridges wasn't that way. All right. And then the band after that, for me, it was called zero deals, half of bridges and just a trio. That was a keyboard, um, drums stack of two keyboards Mm -hmm. and drums. So that was an interesting progressive thing. Funky, but progressive, and, and that, because it was just me, really, and the other keyboardist, Grant Reeves, Art Ford on drums, the other keyboardist was a wonderful keyboardist and one of the finest uh, saxophone players I've ever played with. And flute. And so when he would go and his hands would get off the keyboards, one or the other of us on our synth, whichever synth, mm-hmm. would play bass when the other was not. Okay, And if I was... My hands were busy on piano or some other synth part. He'd cover bass, and we that was worked out. Okay. And uh, but he was he was uh, quite good, just absolutely, and one of the kind of the best around. And uh, and then and but that was not allowed. It wasn't a martial band. Okay. So uh, thankfully, I have friends that have lost a bunch of their hearing. Because they that was their realm. And it wasn't mine. So my hearing, you know, thank goodness at 70, I'm okay. I can hear just fine. You can hear just fine.
1: I could go down so
0: many rabbit holes on this. Because well, so somewhere in, 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 <laughs> in, uh, 89. All right. In the eighties, I had, uh, grew a family. Okay. And was playing. There's a, there's an art college here called Cornish. Yes. And I was a. Over a decade, it was a little mini career in the, from about late 70s, who, who I met an amazing dancer, and we became an item for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And she was just a brilliant modern dancer, and she plugged me in the Corniche. And because I'm of my instrumental, my solo piano able, ability to just go and play, just improvise now, play what you see, go. Mm-hmm. I was very comfortable with that. And I became their kind of main uh, accompanist for their advanced modern classes. And uh, it ended up being a job for me. And the kids started, you know, popping out. And um, so it became, I cultivated that and was at Cornish for about a decade. Okay. And then University of Washington. And where else? Private um, uh, dance uh, uh, studios right. would hire me to come in. And because I could play rhythmically and melodically, where sometimes they want kunga, they'll have a percussionist come in. Well, I can I can go there as as you may know, dr- piano is really a drum. It's eighty-eight drums mm-hmm. with different note, different tones, right, or different uh, 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 notes, yeah. frequencies. So, play for. So, I could go either way for them. So uh, it was. Uh, I was very. They were comfortable with me, and I was comfortable in the medium. And it is a beautiful medium, dance and music and theater. It almost gets operatic. It gets, the stories get involved. We did some just beautiful concerts that I remember vividly through those years. Cause I would do their big, choreographer would do, have a big concert plan for the end of the year. And I would write and perform the music and either put it all on computer. So the pit was full of computers that I'd run or uh solo if that was called for. And uh, that was a wonderful time. I'm laughing because the, all those computers are probably probably
1: less com- computational power than your phone,
0: right there. Right, a bunch, when you, when you uh, a bunch, a bunch of little um, um, the little Macs. Okay. Se. Okay. All right.
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, and yeah, I always had two or three because in case <laughs> that one always went down, and I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> but the and then I moved to L.A. Why? Um, because it just felt right. Okay. And the whole family moved down and I was on a uh, national endowment um, grant oh. writing for a national uh, choreographer okay. that um, um, was, so I wasn't having to work. I, I had some freedom to where I, where I could be and work. And I ended up getting a, a, a bit of a residency at, uh, um, um, Santa Monica College had a very powerful dance program and uh, and as did UCLA and from my kind of at that point a bit renowned within that small world mm-hmm. modern dance is a very small world and uh, um, I was, a, was my interest in going to LA because my best friend was down there pitching working in film and TV mm-hmm. so I thought hmm well that sounds good. And because I was, I my, clubs was kind of not my favorite place. It just, you don't make, you just kind of, you know, you, you don't make much of a living out of it. Unless now, I mean, then you could make a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, although you had to work a lot to make it. And uh, so I was as, floating on this grant, a national grant, I, I took and I took that opportunity to go on and get down there and pick up the the accompaniment, which was m- more lucrative and clean, fun, inspiring environment that in effect, all I had to do was play and practice. So it, it, my chops, it was selfishly as now with the rendezvous mm-hmm. with my morning rendezvous that I do every day have since COVID began. I mean, that's its own story. We might get, we'll to, that. get to that, but, but <laughs> it's, it's, I come in early and practice for two or three hours, do the show, which is just me quietly in this sanctuary. It's, it's the bizarre as damn thing. We'll get to
1: that. We'll get we'll, There's the teaser. We'll come yeah. to that. So down in L.A., did you like living in L.A.?
0: Yeah. Okay. It, was, it was really good for me. It was fun. I have family and friends there. Okay. And you need that in the millions of people. That helps. That helps you be grounded. And uh, and I was plugged right in to where it was working for me. And uh, stayed there a number of years. And then I uh, um, opened a cafe, put my nine-foot piano in it, espresso bar, which the coffee scene was not in L.A. at all. It's still not. Yeah, no, it's not. Well, it is. People know what a latte is. They didn't know what a latte was. I and I was I had been in the coffee business by uh, just by attrition because really? because I knew um um the Stewart brothers who became SBC mm-hmm. who became Seattle's best coffee, all SB Stewart brothers. Right. And they were on this little teeny hole in the wall in Pier 70, yeah brewing their um they were called the wet whisker. Yes. And um uh Dave, the brother. Uh, I, I was living in a loft downtown and was wandering around and smelled coffee. Mm-hmm. It smelled great. So I f- followed my nose and it was him over there with this little red roaster in this little hole in the wall is about as big as where we're sitting right here. And it smelled great. And I just said, you know, hang out. This is new. What's this? And you know, I was sipping his stuff. He had a little thing. And, and, uh, uh, and then I met uh, a, a fella that managed one of his uh, 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 stores, wet whisker was a store and weren't many one or two and, uh, met that kid and he was over by another loft I'd moved into. So this happened kind of quickly. Interesting. And, uh, he, uh, so I got to know really good coffee and how to make it from the guys that were, that they were kind of the pioneers
1: they were certainly the pioneers in this region and, and coffee i love coffee so that's that's a great and i story. was
0: always i was always my their coffee was my their their aesthetic the brew aesthetic mm-hmm. may, determines a coffee it's like anything is you know what your tequila tastes like well it, it tastes like different than somebody else's right and uh, and i always preferred their aesthetic was a medium dark roast mm-hmm. and 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 um uh, Starbucks was a little more of uh, of a French snap, mm-hmm. and I preferred the thick, rich, calm of a little bit matte. It's not quite shiny; the oils aren't out yet, and that happens in fifteen seconds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, so I so point I'm making is that I got to be quite wise, just by hanging around and being interested and seeing the different and having my favorites, and. That little fast forward in that era, the red, little red roaster was bought by um, uh, uh, Liebreck, uh, his first name's leaving me, Lee. Anyway, I'll think of it. But um, who started uh, Lighthouse Roasters? A wonderful, and he was Ed Lee Brick. Uh He was one of the original roasters at Starbucks, and he left Starbucks because he didn't agree with their aesthetic. He was a medium dark roast guy like Stewart brothers. And so he opened his own and he bought that little red roaster from, uh, Dave or whoever Stewart's. And that started Lighthouse up in Fremont. And I think he still has it because it's, it's a legend, really. That's a legendary piece of Seattle folklore. And it probably still works, just cranks out just fine. All right, so question I always ask guests towards the end,
1: but I'm just going to slide it in here because we're talking coffee. Where do you go for a good cup of coffee these days?
0: Right here, my my uh, stove. Your stove. How are you preparing it? Um, with um, kind of an Italian, you know, the original Italian. Mm-hmm. Yes. Take it apart in the middle. Yes. That's how you're making your coffee. Yeah. And Whose beans are you
1: using typically?
0: Um, right now, my favorite bean is um, um, Muckle Teal Roasters. Okay. The um, monorail espresso blend. Okay. Because underneath the monorail in the old days down at Nordstrom's. Yes. Was a monorail espresso. Yes, it was. And they had great coffee. Yes, they did. And I lived in a loft about a half a block away. Okay. And which is my loft era. That's another story. That's another story. (laughs) And and, uh, which started a whole lot of the then famous bands. Okay. Because I was an old I was old school at that point. Okay. And they were kids and I let them rehearse in my place. So that's that that includes Mother Love Bone the Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. So there's there's stories there. But that's because of my lofts, not because of my my musical. Okay. Oh, I was using it for my music. Sure. But I also made friends with one of the the, the drummer out of Love Bone, Greg Gilmore, is still a dear friend of mine. Okay. They became love They became pearl jam. Right. Um, when Andrew died, which I went through that with Greg, so I was there in that time frame. They were working in my studio, practicing. And uh, um, anyway, so um, uh, that I digress. So uh, Muckle Teo Roasters, I, d- I discovered through a bass player a friend of mine. He said it's the only stuff. That's it. And I tasted his coffee, and he said, it was my aesthetic mm-hmm. that dark and rich but not sharp. Okay. And, uh, and so I've since become friends with Gary Smith, the Muckle Teal Roaster guy, and he's an old musician that we're, (laughs) that we know everybody in the world and in, uh, in this world. Right. And, and we were probably in the same room a dozen times and didn't know it. And he knew of me and, uh, and he's over on Woodby Island and I, uh, uh, Muckle Teal Roasters, that's their base. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it used to be a Mochel I don't know. But now it's not Whidbey. No, no. And, uh, and so I discovered, that's where I discovered, I, it is on a teeny little airport. Like a little airport looks like somebody's driveway. I'm a pilot, private okay. pilot. So do you fly in to get your beans? To, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, that's economically viable. And, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a $300 bag of beans. And, uh, so, so I'll go in and, uh. That's where I met Gary and we started realizing we know everybody collectively that's in this immediate scene, you know, and his mentor and I guess partner, maybe, but certainly mentor, uh, was Dave Stewart. So his aesthetic is that, so it's no wonder. So, so it's one in the same. There's his blend, Muckle Teal, I mean his he has several. He has a Happy Hippie, which is a great blend it's a very good in roast. And and uh Monorail Espresso, which is their kind of sister They're sister. They're the same, but not. Right. And I could either one's great. Okay. All right. Well we hijacked that thread.
1: <laughs>
0: well let's let's oh boy. I'm so, sorry. My, no, my, my, my no, this,
1: I warned you. This is how the show goes. Okay. I mean, we're going to, you know, we, it's not scripted. So it, it, it goes where
0: it goes. And coffee can lead any conversation, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. So I had Ed Liebrich. Okay. Uh, when I opened my coffee shop in Hollywood, when i moved down there in the 90s. Okay. Nobody knew they had, they wanted coffee, come in, wanted coffee, black or white, you know, that's British, but black or with cream. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I ordered, I, I built a coffee shop and had Ed shoot me down his house blend, which was my cup of tea. Right. And uh, he sent me down a fresh, you know, five-pound bag re- regularly. And, you know, damn near warm still when I got it. And uh, and so I had the best coffee in, 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 in L.A. And people from San Francisco and New York and Chicago and Europe. Who are in LA trying to make a name for themselves? They knew right away. They'd come in, and I'd make them a dopio. There's a there's a, a Vitos. There's a couple of really good cafes around here. Vitos is one because they made their espresso. Their single shot mm-hmm. is really a ristretto dopio, hmm. so which is restricted. Ristretto is a short shot. Mm-hmm. And that's what the word means, restricted. And then it's really a dopio so it is like nectar oh it's great it's a good one okay. and uh um and they have their own coffee and but led uh ed's lighthouse was just wonderful but i may i always made a really rich shot of coffee and guys that were new and i would say, you know oh you know i'm from i'm from new york you know actors coming in trying to make a name for themselves i say you know how do you like your espresso I said never mind just start with this. So you taste our coffee. I'll give you a shot. Uh-huh. And I would make it a double ristretto, you know, just it, And they, everybody loved us because it was the best coffee. It was not, you know, it wasn't aluminum beverage or it wasn't. Some people were still doing cappuccinos with a scoop of something out of a jar. So they, it was not there. There was one Starbucks in LA at the, uh, century Plaza or something that was in century city. It was a Starbucks. <coughs> but people would come in, famous people, you know, because the coffee shop was in Theater Row, which is equity waiver, 99 seats or less, little black boxes, houses, mm-hmm. some fancy, most not, mm-hmm. of where people keep their acting skills up. Um, equity people in TV and film who are out of work will come into the better equity waiver theaters and just keep working their craft. They'll get into good houses and rehearse. And, and they always have a second because if they get a job, they're gone. So their second will take their spot in that equity waived theater production. Mm-hmm. I had a stuck a cafe right in the middle of those dozen theaters over about a half a block where little theaters all around us. And I called it the in-between and it was in between them all. And and all of those people, if they're from another city, immediately, you know, we'd be packed. And Cause, you put your piano in there. Yeah, and that's all it fit. Almost. <laughs> and it was long skinny thing. And I put it in and, and we had, you know, modular kinda as if this was a bench or a, just a stool. I had a bunch of those everywhere. So it was sitting low and little tables mm-hmm. and it was totally Seattle. The the black back blackboard with, you know, and they hadn't seen any of that shit. And uh people would come in and, uh, Oh, I could, I, where to start. Well, it comes to mind was Michael Bolton was seeing, uh, who was the girl? What was her name? She ended up being in desperate housewives. And then she was in the, one of the terminators. And then she did, uh, uh, Oh, I, you'd know her name in a minute. Pretty girl. brunette. I'm drawing a complete blank. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and yeah, I would, you would, uh, it, it'll come around, but, um, she and Michael Bolton were going out at the time. She happened to be in uh, um, a production because she was in between shows, and 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 the Hudson Theater, right to one of my sides. They were, they were surrounded by theaters, um, was kind of the best one of the bunch. The well-heeled, beautifully rendered, so it was very professional. It wasn't just a black box with a few lights. Mm-hmm. It was a full tilt production facility, and so. Um, they would that would draw the out-of-work uh, TV actors and film actors who would come in and um, get agents to come and see them and just, you know, they'd work it. So there was always, there was that kind of buzz. And there was rehearsals during the day. So the place was full during the day. And then at night, um, um, after the show was over, which was, you know, 10 or something, 8 to 10 whatever their shows or something like that. Um, I'd start doing music and because there was a nine foot and I was part of the schedule. I did Monday, you know, weekly or daily, uh, evening, um, music. And I'd plug myself into the schedule. And then as soon as the word got out that there was this little cafe that pay you something out of the till. And, and, and they have, didn't mind that. They were just wanting to, again, show themselves in LA, in Hollywood. Um, and there was a grand piano, a serious grand piano with a nice set of lights and sound sitting in this really funky little cool cafe. And the owner would rather insist that you do your own music. He didn't want it to turn into a piano bar. And so that was my rule. I said, you know, people would come in and, uh, I'd say, well, you know, this is for original music. And a lot of that goes on down there. Cause that's what they're after. Mm-hmm. So they, that's, they, they weren't trying to be a piano bar. They were there to show off their stuff. And then they would have, try and have agents or managers or what have you come in. And so they were, you know, they had that scene, you know. And uh, that was a, that was a fun time. I, at, um, I still work with a number of the people I met out of that, you know, in my film and TV work. Wow. So that was in the nineties. And then I moved back up here we bought a house on Bainbridge Island and I was involved in a studio, um, uh, production and, and my wife and I went our separate ways and, uh, I had a couple of kids and, uh, actually we we're still really good friends. I think, you know, thank goodness. And, uh, but it was, we were, we were on different roads and I moved back to LA because that's where my phone was ringing. Mm-hmm. And, um, And shortly thereafter, my youngest son called me up and asked me, he said, Dad, can I come live with you? Because his older son was probably a little heavy-handed on him, now that he was the old, the man in the house. And the youngster was quiet and reserved, and the elder was the opposite. And I said, sure. So he moved down. It was, you know, Dad and Son in L.A. in Studio City we lived. And that's where I got into uh, a song, film and TV, song placement. Wasn't My best friend uh, uh has done it all through. The, he worked for BMG. And he pulled me in to be his kind of creative guy. Because we knew we had played, he was the drummer in Bridges. So we had known each other since the 70s. So we knew each other's ear. And we could look at each other and know what we were thinking about music. And say green, and we both had the same green in our mind. Okay. You know, we wanted blue, but not too. And we both knew what that meant. Okay. Or it's got to be this, but eh, not, not a little more, uh. You know, a little more mustard. Okay. So um, that taught me that business. And then I went on the road with Dan Reed. Dan Reed Network out of Portland was a funky, hard, hidden rascal. And he was a big, he had a couple of big hits in the late 80s.
1: How did you get connected with Dan Reed?
0: Uh, Art Ford, my same friend from Drummer and Bridges, Mm. to... BMG's in charge of their film and TV music placement on the publishing side for uh, um, the world pulled me in to help that and produce events and we did Sundance and and so that's therein. But he knew Dan from Portland because Art was from Eugene and he just knew the Dan Reed Network. I didn't. Although we had met back in when Dan was climbing the ladder, he would come up here and play, uh, what was that place down under the monorail? Anyway, one of the big clubs downtown. And, um, oh, I almost had it. It was a Greek restaurant for a while. Um, anyway, and a lot of people played there cause it was kind of the big club in town with Aquarius being the big club North of town. Right. And, uh, um, And he and Dan was in there playing, and you know, lying around the block. He was well known. Mm -hmm. And my loft was down uh, another loft was downtown, (laughs) one near the um, the monorail that that where I frequent, and and that was close to uh, um, Astor Park. Yep, thank you. And um, and after Dan Reed played Astor Park. And I didn't even go. I was whatever. I was probably, I had my nine piano, nine foot piano there. So that was an event production, you know, performance gallery okay. that had his, his stories in there too. But, um, and I lived there and, uh, he brought Dan over after the show and we hung out and I played and Dan, you know, there was a guitar around. I don't think he brought his and, uh, we just clicked. And he'd sing and play something and I just play right on it. And so um, fast forward, when I moved to LA, Dan had come down there. It was great to see him and reconnected. And we played in in my studio. I had a studio with art and, and uh, uh, um, a friend of ours who is, is um, one of the kind of higher echelon, upper echelon in film and TV music in, in LA. We had a, Um, um, studio. We've had two through the years actually. And, uh, and I used it, they, they were working during the day. I used it for production stuff, practice and production stuff. And Dan came along and I helped him do a song of his. I played and recorded it for him in our little studio. And we just, it was just magic. And he said, wow, he said, this is great. He said, I've got some dates in Europe this summer. You want to go? I go, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> sure, <laughs> and it, it it became a long and still connected career. I've done a couple of albums with him, and I uh, have gone last time. It's been a, a little while now, three or four years. Of course, it's been two years before any of us tra- tra- traveled. Uh, so it's been a few years now since I've been over there, and uh, and his and I would go over and do one. I was playing with not the network. He had a Dan Reed band mm-hmm. that was a lot of those songs, the hit songs, but done differently. And we kind of did them funky in our own thing. We weren't trying to do the record. Okay. And, uh, and it was well-traveled and that was so much fun. That was first time really in kind of my professional life that I did Europe and I was traveling along with the band, bouncing along in in either a rented van we had or on the train and crisscrossing uh, the UK and going up to Scotland and then bouncing up to, uh, uh, the Scandinavia and crisscrossing, and I've crisscrossed and playing the smallest little bergs in Sweden. You want to know, <laughs> and then some of the big halls, and then we would do festivals too, the big festivals in the summertime, because yeah. uh, Dan's he was known over there. Because when when the when the network hit in the late 80s, out of Portland, they where they really hit was not U.S. The Ed Center, they had sent it there in uh, whatever the label was. There's a, 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 um, a London uh, office too for that label, and um, and then and maybe still, if you were big in L.A. Or, or or the label in L.A. was jumping up and down about you, they were they were cautious until they heard you and thought for themselves. Okay. So they knew their market. And Dan Reed, funky rock and roll thing, hard hitting, kind of four on the floor, but with a guitar hero, mm-hmm. Brian who I've, in fact, he sat in with me about two months ago. I mean, I'm still in touch with Brian. Oh, and all those guys, really. And uh, um, he, um, they sent it to uh, uh, Joni Metcalf in, not Arista. Anyway, one of the labels, um, big label. And she was the head of AR. And she always had a stack of CDs like this that she never got to of new acts. And then this came over, but this was, a little, this was a separate act list because it came over from her label, a uh, Los Angeles version. And her dad came in every every week and brought a pile of stuff because he loved listening. And so he was her listener. <laughs> and he heard Dan Reed and brought it to her attention immediately. Said, you're going to like this. This kid's good. And they were hard hitting and she just dug it. And so they signed him up, and uh, um, and brought him over. And their first gig was opening for the Stones at Wembley Stadium. And they went on and did the European tour. Hmm. And so he's well known. <laughs> yeah. In yes, in yes. Europe, and uh, one of those was platinum. Maybe the second was too. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And then, but then, then that ran its course. Grunge and uh, depressed, hard hitting rock and roll took over from Guy Gets Girls Spandex Pants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, poignant, important topics that were done seriously instead of wanking, you know, uh, hairdo. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Dan was a blend of that. Right. To be fair to Dan, they were serious as a heart attack, but the material was light it was, you know, girl in a red dress, tiger in a red dress, mm-hmm. and and it was all about guy gets girl. And he got he has since got much more pointed and poignant in his material. So, but so it the that kind of turned off like a switch, and he went into uh, um, electronica and he got out of the business for a while, just because uh, it was ending up being too self-destructive for himself. So he decided to just kind of uh, disappear for a while and. And then he discovered that music and writing music and playing is what he wants to do. So he came back in.
1: Okay.
0: And that's where I reconnected with him in that second life of his. And it was in Europe because he was living over there. He lives in Prague. He's been out of the country expat for a long time. And we're still in touch very, very much. So coming home from coming off of one of those tours, I was here seeing mom, not living in L.A. anymore. Cause I was over there most of the time and, um, and between, and then he'd have me do dates with the band and we'd also do house concerts, just him and me, which was much more lucrative. So we, we could both, you know, uh, bank better on that. And, uh, and that was just so much fun. So I came home and I was hanging and that's when I met Michael Mm-hmm. And I was just going to go back over with no real plans. I mean, I was still doing stuff with Dan, but it was a lot easier if I was over there for him to get me for a weekend for a $200 ticket instead of a $1,200. Right. So it's, it's like from here to LA, it's easier if you're here than if I was in London working in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, anyway, here I am. Michael uh, corralled me and I still come and go. I did, I did, uh, um, Last summer, I did a wonderful uh, um, set of concerts in uh, Vienna, where a, a woman uh, who uh, uh, was a fan of my morning rendezvous mm-hmm. we'll, get to, we'll get to or maybe come into this after. And uh, But from uh, these morning rendezvous, I' met some people around the world. And there's one gal in Austria is, is an artist and uh, really actually a, a, an amazing artist. And, uh, she became a fan and a friend and we connected. And she said, she said, I sent her my albums and she played them for some people. And a conservatory was just quite taken by it and said, we, we'd love to have him come over and do a concert. So she hosted me and, and, and the, uh, the, uh, conservatory, um, uh, uh, gave me a date, gave me a concert. So over I went, this was like in June past. And, uh, and, uh, and then we, she set up another house concert with an artist in Vienna. One was a little out of Vienna, about an hour out down the Danube. And then, uh, the other was in, you know, one of the old town, close to Beethoven's old hang, um, the top floor of this old beautiful, uh, um, uh, you know, apartment and, uh, piano in it. And so I did both concerts. And it was just magic. And and, and uh, it's hard to explain, but Beethoven and Mozart and Haydn and Chopin, especially Beethoven and Mozart, they were Vienna. I mean, that was like, that was the, you know, king of the hill. That was rock. That was the stardom was in Vienna. Mm-hmm. And then you'd go elsewhere. Chopin would come to, got his chops in Vienna and then went back to Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, the fact that my roots were more Vienna than they were Seattle or LA or <laughs> Chicago or New Orleans or Nashville, those were not, these were not my roots. Right. Aesthetically, it was Vienna. And I could feel that my hair was standing up for the whole time. And they've asked me back. the uh, the conservatory wants me to do a residency. And which is work with the kids on improv because it's all my material. I mean, it, it might be some of it's set. Mm-hmm. A lot of it isn't it's heads and themes and patterns and, and, and images. And then I stretch and go away and come back. Okay. And, uh, so, and she, she could spot that in a minute because we were rehearsed in the theater there. And the gal that runs the place and dear woman was he, she became a friend and, uh, um, she, so the residency will be improv for whoever wants to be involved. And then I'll do a weekly concert. And when will this be taking place? Well, it was supposed to be done in December, mm-hmm. but, but they got, they got locked down again. Right. So we're just, we're it's sometime this year. Okay. Problem. I mean, uh, I don't mind not being in Vienna, Vienna or having to trudge along getting to and from Vienna in uh, Austrian winters. now they don't mind like when I was in uh, Sweden for many a winter Mm -hmm. and you're up to your waist but nobody minds because that's their life and they deal with it right and I got pretty good at dealing with it I'd be there but I don't mind it being later spring or summer okay just saying
1: all right (laughs) my daughter lives in Telfs I don't know that it's just out of Innsbruck oh yeah yeah it's about uh, 20, 20 minutes or so from wow. Hensbrook. It's a little town. And, uh, yeah, she's what's
0: the other where, where, uh, um, Alessandra is, is the artist, Steiner, uh, a wonderful visual artist. And we did a collaboration that was her visual painting that she chose over the pieces mm-hmm. that she became to know, be, be, became knowing or of, mm-hmm. um, aware of. And, uh, so, we created this digital environment where she projected on the entire stage okay. while I performed to that, my song with that image and it sat over it. And a wonderful trick that's just a cheap thrill is, and I did this in my lofts because you get great big white parachutes and drape them over everything. And if there's any lumps, like a piano is a lump, mm-hmm. and then there's a backdrop It becomes this 2D, 3D environment you project from the front. It's like a pop-up gift card Hmm. where, you know, something pops up. And as you're looking low straight at it, it has dimension. You see in front and, you know, front's a tree and the back's the sky or something. So there is relief. And the same thing happens on stage. And so it's just wonderfully cheap. And, you know, you get white whatevers and drape it on the back. And then I drop it over the piano and I wore all white. So (laughs) here I'm in, I'm immersed in the image and people just love it. The place was packed. And, but back to the roots, they were very comfortable with my progressively neoclassical bent. Okay. Cause I run and, and, um, you know, I mean, I'll fly up and down sideways and cross and just have fun. And, you know, and uh, they were, they, they, they hung on every note. It was, I was so tickled because that's not always the case. If I'm playing a club in Seattle, I'm careful what songs I pick. If I'm getting, you know, too esoteric, it won't hold the crowd. It'll hold people near me Mm -hmm. because people who want to come and hear me will come up close. And then if, 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 if I throw hell to the wind, I'll play to them anyway. And if it's something light and pretty, if I get too light and pretty in some clubs, it it gets stepped on because people aren't ready for that. Unless they're really there to listen to whatever I give them. Okay. And in some clubs, that's not the case. They're coming in for, you know, other reasons. But boy, did I feel that in Vienna. That's my point. Okay. I just felt that connection. And uh, I'm excited to go back. COVID. Yeah, that I'm stopped it. Kind of tired of that word.
1: Tired of asking the questions of everybody. Like, what did you do during COVID? But, hey. I mean, it's real. But your morning rendezvous. Started because. Right. Why don't you explain that to the listeners so that they have an idea and we'll make sure that they can
0: find you, but yeah. let's, let's talk about that. Well, the, uh, a long cave, you know, the lockdown <laughs> and, um, and, um, I, I live right next to the studio <clears throat> and, um, which has a magnificent piano in it. And I've been, you know, that was two years ago and I've been here a good, almost 10. So, I mean, you know, so, Two things, and and I'm careful to speak with this. I know this is public, but I'll, so I'll speak to it, you know, with with my appreciation of it being my situation, and I have friends and family that this is not the case, but with me, most of my life is somewhat monastic and a bit of a hermit, where I'm you know eat, sleep, piano, mm-hmm. and with this environment, I've been able to get up and come in here early and practice, put my hours in. Uh, playing, practicing, writing, recording, and then get out of the way of the studio if they've got a day, something, mm-hmm. and then their day's done. And I'll come in late at night, go off into the wee hours and, uh, and, uh, practice and play and record. And just me, I mean, I don't turn it into a party. I'm, I'm, I'm careful that way. I just don't run that way. Uh, I, I, um, when I do a recording session, I like it to be a closed session, which just means me and who's essential to be here. Mm-hmm. I don't want, you know, girlfriends and friends of friends and bring it into turn it into a party. I might have a party at the end of it, but closed session, I just, it keeps me focused and quiet and you're controlling the air. But so, uh, so I, uh, along came COVID and in truth, my situation didn't change much, because I was still w- waking up, eat, sleep, come in here, and, uh, and so. But we all had to be careful yeah. elsewhere. So, um, anyway, so uh, Raymond, uh, um, all of our friends were doing things, streaming, with their PayPal's and their Venmos, to try and keep making money. Yeah, and. They, and then, you know, keep their crowd entertained and hopefully their crowd would, you know, slide them 20 bucks on PayPal. And, uh, and that, that became an approach that a lot of people did. And it was funny. I was, I was really, it was touched. I was touched by seeing people doing that and I thought it was great, you know, and I'd chime in, I'd watch and some of it and, and, uh, you know, let them know I was here and say, you know, you know, just, you know, back them up. And, uh, in Raymond keybro i call him we're all Keybros if if you play keybro if you play keyboard you're a keybro gotcha. and uh and, and and i met him when i moved home so it's been inside of 10 years we've been friends and friends right away i mean he's he's just such a you know a wonderful you know you know open book and uh you know big-hearted man it's easy to be friends with that man
1: that compliment paid for by the friends of Raymond
0: Hayden <laughs> foundation. <laughs> I, I agree. He's, he's, he's good man. Yeah, he's a good man. And and he, Mr. Tacoma. And so part of it, he plugged me into Tacoma. He pulled me down there and in my band up here that we've played far too occasionally, but, and, and because everybody's busy in their rest of their world, mm-hmm. but called dream wreck has Ben Smith in it, Rod Cook, John Bayless, and that's a hell of a band. And and Raymond dug the band and he got us booked down there. And and then that in turn got me some solo things down there. And and we've been friends since. And we he, he we had this thing called the evening of keys, which was a handful of piano players. And I immediately got adopted into that. So we would do, you know, four or five piano players, go up and do 20 minutes. Okay. And uh, but um, so along came COVID and here we sat or I sat and just doing what I do. <clears throat> and Raymond said, he said, wait, what do you think about going? You should push, go and go online, you know, get out there and, you know, everybody, you know, will come check you out. And I thought about it. And I said, well, yeah, said, why not? I'm just doing what I do, you know, open up the door. And, uh, so he, he uh, helped me do a little event thing and we first called it breakfast with Brooke because I decided to do it in the morning because okay. the people I got nowhere to go and uh, nor at night either, but a lot of people were doing nights and, and it just felt right to do something in the morning because I was in here practicing anyway. And. So he helped me, you know, with those event things and got that going and, uh, started just a few days after that idea. Cause Easter was just right around the corner. And, uh, so that's when I started and I started going every day for about a year, every day. And I start taking a day off, uh, you know, because I couldn't go anywhere. Nobody was going. It wasn't like, you know, any other choice really. And, and I'm doing this every day anyway. So why not? And, um. And that, the, the the rendezvous, I call them les vous, the group of people are, are um, I, I'm doing, it, I'm not doing it every day. I'll do it now, of course, with the construction here. My mornings are toast. So I'm not doing mornings. So what I'll do is the weekend. Okay. Or I might do a, a later midnight rendezvous, evening rendezvous. And everything quiets down. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing a little bit more a bit spontaneous, and put out a quick event, and, and the same core group of people show up. So where are, you, are.
1: where are you putting these on? At
0: um, uh, the church. Well, how so? What are you streaming them to? Uh, whoever wants to listen on Facebook. Well, Facebook. Okay. On my page. Okay. And Facebook Live. Okay. And which is amazing because I, I do it. I, my entire technical. You know, set up is my uh, phone. Now I have an advantage because the phone is a Galaxy, and it's none fancy. Well, it's there, top-of-the-line Galaxy, but <clears throat> which happens to have a great little camera and a pretty hefty little microphone. So, which is amazing in itself, frankly. I mean, what the heck? And so I set it up, looking down the keyboard. And it's about a foot and a half away from an awesome piano. So it's going to sound good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it just can't help but sound good. If it's in tune, you hear it. If it's not, you hear that. But it sounds big and full. And then the room, the sanctuary in the church is gorgeous. So I, I just, by chance, have a great sounding instrument. And then I sing a little bit to it and I just turn, kind of poke my head, look toward, lean in a little bit to the camera and, you know, tell the story and get out and come back over here and play. So it's by mostly, mostly piano. Okay. And, and uh, but I tell the story in some of my songs because ain't nobody here else to do it. So I do.
1: <laughs> and those have been well received.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I've done. Well, what's that? Uh, 365 days a year has been two. Um, so I probably have four or five hundred shows under my belt. Okay. And uh, the same bunch, it has, now that they've let us out of prison a little bit, the The turnout is a lot less initially. But I, I'm just here for who wants to show up. I'm okay with if, if you know, if it's, if it's not a couple of thousand people showing up for the, if it's a hundred. Mm-hmm. And then by the by with the little legs behind that, I keep everything on my site Mm -hmm. uh, on the Facebook so that people can revisit it if they want to. And they always do people. So all of a sudden in a week, I got two or three or four more times more people than were there the day I did it. That's amazing. Because they come back and and it'll happen. I have friends in L.A. that will either tune in when I do it Mm -hmm. or they know that there's something on my site and they'll turn me on. And just have it in their office, and not sit and be involved in the ch- in the chatter, because a lot of people come there; they've made friends with the other rendezvous, so th- their friend horizon has expanded to people all over around the world. And they're chatting, and, and I don't pay a lot of attention when I'm playing, because I'd be distracted. <laughs> you know, it would my focus. I have to, so I'll play, and I know that so you know, they're listening, but then they're engaging with who. You know, and and so it's, I've created this space for them. And so I I have to and choose to let them do what they want. We only have a couple of rules. No news. (laughs) Thank you. No news. This is our no news hour of love and nothing negative. This is, this is not a pity party. This is not, this is not a prayer group. I understand we all go through things where we want a little help or a little pat on the back. And if that's the case, you know, take it off of here. This is not for that. We're here for the music and for just for love and to connection. This we're gathering. We started this gathering when they told us not to. So it allowed us to gather at a time when we were told not to. I mean, figuratively speaking. Because nobody could get together and sit around the piano and listen to somebody play for an hour, hour and a half. So how much longer do you think you'll do this? And uh, I don't see any end. I'm coming into our second year anniversary. So and and, and because I'm playing anyway. Um because I'm practicing. I mean at my at my age I have to play every day. I just do. And and I practice and you know, bust my butt and go through my exercises. There's an exercise, couple of exercise books I use. One, and they're all 200 years old. And uh, you know, uh, not literally my printed page, but their author. Really. And because they're classical, and uh, and that just you know, it's like calisthenics. You, you know, there's only, you know, that's it is calisthenics.
1: How many hours a week are you practicing?
0: Well. Um, And I
1: mean practice, not the rendezvous So yeah.
0: practice Well the rendezvous, what's interesting Is that it is still that fast and flying mm-hmm. And flowing, you know What I call neoclassical And I, I mean, you know I play funky and rootsy And I got some, you know, uh, reggae in me And I got some gospel in me So it's not all esoteric mm-hmm. Classically You know, sounding Um it's just not, it's, you know, I I cover a wide range that way. But so even the rendezvous are challenging because I'm playing, you know, like, you know, there's no tomorrow. Okay. So it, I include that in my rehearsal. Okay. Uh, but so I do two hours in front of that. So there's three hours in the morning and then at least three at night, four usually. And so, you know, so that's six, seven hours a day. And, you know, so it's, but it's what I do. And, and at the moment, I don't have a girlfriend or a wife or a dog, so I, <laughs> <laughs> so I can, you know, that's what I do, <laughs> and thankful for it, very thankful for it, and and I'm and I mentioned that I'm careful, uh, uh, having you know been very thankful for kind of this turn of events mm-hmm. that has maybe something to do, but not in my. Heart, anything to do with COVID, but it has it is related to everybody being you know locked down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That that it instigated this my my opening up my doors so people could come in on what I'm doing anyway. Right. All right. A question I
1: love to ask musicians. Two part question. Washington state related, I and mean, for you, you know, I'm gonna pare you down. Can't say somewhere in LA or somewhere in Europe. We can, maybe you can slide those in, but like to do because we're exploring Washington State as a performer. The coolest
0: venue you've played at, um, theater or club anywhere. Well, the theaters there are several. I mean, the Paramount's wonderful. Okay, um, Kirkland's Performance Theater is lovely. Played there a number of times. Um, there's an Everett Theater. The classic old something, mm-hmm. um, and it's fun. Um, clubs. Uh, uh, I found out about it through Raymond, uh, the one Louis, Louis, Louis G's, G's. Louis, which is closed now. Oh, is is it's, it now? It's,
1: it's gone.
0: Uh, that was that was a Shangri La. That was hiding. Mm-hmm. Its stage and sound system. They didn't have a piano. Right. I mean, I, I that's I. The, the first handful have gorgeous pianos that I mentioned because um, that's, you know, uh, uh, otherwise I have a fine digital piece of great, several, mm-hmm. but, and thank goodness, because they work great, but it's not an acoustic piano. It's not playing a Steinway seven or nine foot piano. All right. So, so um, let's see where else, you know, that little club out North called the North city bistro mm-hmm. and uh, the blooms on that. And there's sweethearts. And they have, he's a musician and he picks and chooses the music that plays there. And it's a little wine bar. So it's unassuming. And, 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 but it's, it's, they're so uh, accommodating. They, they, we've become really close friends. I'll go in there with a friend of mine has me come in and he's a a blues art player, singer, you know, and, and he has plays with various guys in a band situation. But uh, um, short of that, he will ask me and we'll go in and just the two of us play and play a couple of sets each and then combine in one set. So I'll take the middle set mm-hmm. and have it be what I do. It'll be like a rendezvous. In fact, done it a time or two where I'll set up and stream the rendezvous. Okay. From there on that night. And, uh, but because we're in Seattle, when we advertise, those people show up. Right. Cause now they can get out. We can get out now. Part two of the question Oh, side note. Still, they Ray has a lovely piano. He has. Well, it's an upright, mm-hmm. so it looks unassuming. But Yamaha makes a series that's a U. It's, it's the n- nomenclature. It's a U series mm-hmm. that are great. Okay, they're a great piano. Well, for what it is, mm-hmm. for, but it doesn't sound like a little spinet that grandma puts the pictures on. It actually has some beef and some some voice. And 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 it's lovely. So it's a it's a fine instrument to uh, you know play a nice short set on. Okay.
1: Part two of that is where where have you seen music performed in the area that you've enjoyed from a, from the audience standpoint?
0: Sea uh, Monster, Sea Monster. Not familiar with that. Yeah, it's it's if we were twenty one, it'd be our favorite club. Okay, because it's funky, jazzy, improv, and then some. Not. But they are serious on the improv original, what you do if you're good and funky and jazzy, come on in. And Joe Doria is kind of, you know, holds court there. And Joe's uh, a local organ god. Okay. He's over the top. Good. Okay. And the Jimmy Smith B3 throws the pedals like he grew up on him, probably did, and is ridiculous. And he has great players with him, consequently. And they're just flying, not even looking at each other at each other. All right. So it is funky, jazzy, tear it up, 15 minute songs. You know, I'm all about that. I can get that. Okay. And uh, Joe, uh, the, he's kind of, you know, the, uh, he's kind of the, uh, um, like I say, he holds court there. He has played there you know, once a week for years. And uh, so certainly the Sea Monster. Okay. And let's see, where, where else? I don't go out much. Well, we're about... Back, I'm a total buddy. Go back in the day. Back in the day. So,
1: like, you mentioned Astor Park.
0: Yeah, that would be one of the, kind of the rock halls. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, jazz Alley. Yeah. Is a jazz hall. Um, uh, uh, Langston Hughes <clears throat> is the R&B. Uh, the African-American community uh, lives and in, in, thrives through that hall. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, they have the gospel and the R and B and the funk, and and it's just beautiful. That that that's a real home for that music. Um, let's see where else. Uh, um.
1: Well, let me ask you this
0: question. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to think because, like, right now, there's a bunch of places you go. It's like that you go see. I go see people that I know, and they're my friends. Sure. So I go there for them. Okay. And I might not, you know, want to come back to this club next weekend unless I know you. Okay.
1: Where haven't you played that you'd like to play?
0: I haven't played Jazz Alley. Okay. Um, And I'd enjoy that. Now, okay. I'm not real. I, I'm i different for Jazz Alley. Sure. But I know John uh, Demetrios. Yes. Demetrio. Demetri. Yeah. But I know him. The first Jazz Alley was in the U District. Mm-hmm with his wife then, and my loft was about two and a half blocks up 45th or, or up university way from him. And he'd come up and hang out. And when I was having shows and things, so that's what I met him through that. And, uh, but I've never tried, I never asked him to play jazz alley. Well, he actually has a guy book in it um, because I was never, you know, straight out jazz. Okay. And, uh, but I would enjoy that because they have a nice instrument. Okay. And, uh, where else would I want to play? Well, I've done shows here Mm. people don't know what this looks like, but it's a beautiful venue. Yes, it is. And it's a, it seats, it's a beautiful sanctuary that seats about, am I too far away? You okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, sorry. I'm sitting back. Um, it's okay. The, um, I've done a number of shows here that we'd fill the place. And filling here isn't much. It's probably 175 people. Right, but still, yeah, that's a nice crowd. That's a nice crowd. And and even 100 is fine. They're not quite so sardines because we still have the the pews. Mm-hmm. And pews are godly, excuse the pun, uncomfortable. Yes, they are. Or is that ungodly? Um, anyway, either way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but and so I we packed it, and it's a little bit shoulder to shoulder. And so uh, 75 or 100 is better. And that's that's easy to gather. Okay. And uh, But that hasn't been during COVID. Okay. Where else? Where else would I like to play? You ever played the triple door? Yes. Thank you. A number of times. Okay. And both their side room where I had to bring a piano and the big one where they have that lovely, uh, um, yeah, uh, Steinway. Mm -hmm. i've played it a number of times it's fine it's just fine it's
1: funny i I asked that question to most of the guests that are musicians right and the triple door is almost everybody's choice it's so funny to me it's like i i I don't know what i don't know what i expected but the triple door rises up from that where do you want to play like as a performer people say the triple door where do you like to see music being performed people say the triple door it's Mm -hmm. it's a They've done a great job
0: there. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine that I, uh, a dear friend that I've, uh, uh, Richard Russell is his name. Um, He's a singer songwriter and I've been, met him through um, being asked to do the keyboards on his number of albums. So through the years we've become friends musically and he's a philanthropist and was very much involved in the triple door existing. Okay. Okay. And they do a blues, they do a fundraiser for the Port Townsend Blues Society. Something like that. Something. And it's an annual thing and a big fundraiser at the Triple Door. And Richard's always invited to perform. Because he is. Mm -hmm. You know, he's kind (laughs) of responsible for it. And and, uh, he brings his band. He's living in Hawaii. And he brings his band over. And I'll play keyboards with him. Okay. And he'll give me a middle kind of minor set of my own material. Oh, okay. So I'll stretch out. Okay. And it's, and, and I, and anytime I play with Richard, he'll give me kind of you know, the band will leave the stage and I'll take it for a minute. Okay. Triple door is fun.
1: Okay. Well, I want to respect your time because you got to get back to practicing. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Two questions. Well, one's more of a statement question. What didn't, I mean, we could go on and on and on. I mean, we, I know we skipped over a bunch of stuff, but what didn't I ask you that I probably
0: should have asked you? Well, let's see. Hmm. Um, that's an interesting question. Cause we've just covered some stuff, kind of my, my past. Uh-huh. Um, and, and what's interesting is that, and you don't know this, but kind of discovering the feeling that I've, discovered, um, and felt for the first time that I was in Vienna was real interesting okay. because that my roots, I didn't, it just, of course, those are my roots. Cause that was the first music I learned and it wasn't, you know, the pop stuff or the rock stuff or the R and B back then. Mm-hmm. And so that was interesting, but we, we covered that cause that's kind of, that's new in my life. Uh, in the COVID, you know, the, the morning rendezvous
1: mm-hmm.
0: or rendezvous, if it's in the evening, the evening rendezvous. If it's late, I call it the uh, midnight rendezvous. Um, that's two years old. So that's a new part of my moment, mm-hmm. which is just including people in kind of what I do. But it's really so consequently, it's like it's been one of the most prolific times in my life you know. because I'm cranking out stuff every day okay and it has generated two and i'm on the verge of a third album in two years wow so it's really created and that's all the stuff isn't on there that you know i feel could be on because uh, i picked and chose and uh and that'll continue and um so let's see, what have you asked? Well, that's it. <laughs> I'm a, i am I just, uh, this is what I do and it's continuing and I'm very thankful for it.
1: Okay. So people want to listen to your music. They want to, they want to attend. Where can, where can people find out more about you? Are you just on Facebook or do you have other
0: sources? I, I well, they, they, my name is Brooke Lazat, and, and, and there's a one after it. Okay. Cause all the, uh, there are a few Brooke Lazats, hmm. and they're all girls because, <laughs> uh, my my brook has an E after it. Okay. And that in fast forward uh, of course my mom decided that a long time ago. <laughs> and but she must have liked the way it looks. Cause other masculine is K Brook mm-hmm. or S Brooks Brothers Suits. Mm-hmm. So Brooke K S with the S and E is feminine. So all of my male comes as Ms. Because the post office, their
1: infinite wisdom,
0: <laughs> their their systems and others and just any postal system, they'll pay, they'll flip a coin for masculine or feminine. So the Terry's and the Alex, and the you know the who else? What other is can toe the line like that? Brooke is one, although it's spelled differently. But there's others like Terry with a R R Y or R I R R, yeah um or what have you pat oh yeah that, yeah I remember
1: the old saturday night life skit for pat so
0: all right don't call me shirley
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i thank you so much for taking oh the time. it's been this, a pleasure this was this was great for me and um we'll put links in the
0: show notes so that people can find you oh i was gonna say i have a uh, youtube channel oh okay and that where there's that shows a lot of the stuff i've done on film too Okay. Some of the artists, the, the pieces I did, um, uh, for the Sony pictures things. And, uh, um, so that includes things that are not my material that I'm playing on though. Okay. The, 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 uh, the work I've done with Randy Meisner from the Eagles. Oh, really? And, and, and one of our pieces is on there. Okay. And, um, and, uh, so they'll see the film and TV side of me. Excellent. And then a bunch of my materials on there too. And, and, and then, um,
1: are you on any, uh, do you uh, make sure there's nothing you can throw at me? Okay. Are you on any of the streaming service? Are you, is your music on Spotify? Yes, it
0: is on all of those. Okay. And, and of course that's digital. And I've done, I've done, um, I have a small, a uh, 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 bit of uh, CDs in case people want CDs because all the, I, I got those really for the rendezvous people because they all, almost all of them uh, uh, bought a c- CD or both okay. from me because I could sign it. and And it's, it's a memory piece. Sure. I mean, CDs and, and hats and I I don't have hats or or t-shirts but when you go somewhere you'll pop for a 20 40 60 all of a sudden you're spending 100 or 200 bucks at the merch but it's a memory piece for that night absolutely so the rendezvous people they've almost all of them have chose to have a CD okay. so they remember being there when that was recorded because it was recorded live at the rendezvous one oh. of one of those days oh very nice okay and so um, so that they they would have to come to me directly, okay. And they, that could be done if they're a Facebooker, you know, PM me mm-hmm. and say, you know, if you want to, if you want a CD, then we make arrangements aside. Okay. But they can also don't la- download from any of their favorite sites,
1: okay. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much. Yeah,
0: thank you. It's been a real treat, and thank you, uh, we both. Can thank uh, Kebro Raymond.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. I pat him on the back. There we go. But, <laughs> we don't uh, want his head to send him too. But this has been a pleasure. Thank you Thank you.
1: Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State Podcast.